Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series where we're going to look at some of the first principles we use in pharmacy. This week, with the official commissioning of Paxlovid in the NHS against COVID, I thought we could have a look at its interactions. Why is it such a problem? What can we do about it? And how can we extrapolate the things we're talking about to pharmacy life in general? So first off, what is Paxlovid? Well, we covered it in detail a couple of weeks ago, along with how effective it is, so we won't go over it all again. You can listen to that podcast if you want the details. But in summary, Paxlovid is a combination of a protease inhibitor, nermotrelvir, with a booster that stops it being metabolised too quickly, ritonavir. Given for early COVID to people at high risk of admission to hospital who haven't been vaccinated, we think it probably stops an extra 6 out of 100 people being admitted to hospital. We hope this extrapolates to our population of vulnerable people who have been vaccinated a lot, but we won't know until we have more data. Until then, it seems to be the right thing to do, but we need to be prepared to change our minds if the data changes. Intellectual humility. We think we're right based on the data we have, but there's always a chance the data, and therefore we, could be wrong. So what's the difficulty with Paxlovid that makes pharmacy nerds twitchy? Well, it's the annoying ritonavir. Ritonavir is in there to boost the nermotrelvir by stopping its metabolism. It does this by being a strong inhibitor of cytochrome P450-3A4. By inhibiting the enzyme, it stops it working on nermotrelvir, slowing its clearance from the body, meaning you get to give less of it for the same effect, which is a winner. The problem is that whilst ritonavir slows the metabolism of nermotrelvir, it also slows the metabolism of loads of other things too, because as we've talked about before, CYP3A4 paired up with P-glycoprotein are the body's general purpose police force for small molecule medicines. You might want to take the medicine, but your body just wants rid. P-glycoprotein is an efflux transporter, kicking stuff out the body. CYP3A4 follows along behind, metabolising anything that does get in. So it's thought ritonavir inhibits CYP3A4 in a slightly sneaky way. Ritonavir is identified as something to metabolise by the enzyme, but when it's done its metabolising, one of the breakdown products binds irreversibly to the binding site of CYP3A4, meaning other stuff can't get in there to take its turn to be metabolised. It's an irreversible inhibitor. It also rather frustratingly can induce, rather than inhibit, other CYP enzymes, like CYP1A2, which metabolises theophylline. So at the same time as increasing levels of some medicines, it could also reduce the levels of some other medicines, like theophylline. However, induction tends to take longer to happen than inhibition, and Paxlovid is a short five-day course, so we can hopefully ignore these effects for Paxlovid. So what does all this tell us? Well, it tells us that because we're concerned about the inhibition effects of the very popular CYP3A4, lots of other medicines levels are likely to go up as well. Because it's a potent inhibitor, they may go up by quite a lot. And because it's an irreversible inhibitor, this effect can hang around for a bit. The half-life of ritonavir is about 3 to 5 hours, but its inhibitory effect can last for at least 3 days after you stop taking it. Which is all very interesting, but how does this help us manage the interactions with Paxlovid in real life? Well, what we need to do is approach it like we would any other interaction question. First off, we need to find out whether an interaction is likely. Luckily for Paxlovid, although it's a new combination drug, the interacti bit, ritonavir, is fairly old, so its interactions are already well characterised. Plus, because it's a COVID thing, lots of people are working on the problem. In particular, the Liverpool COVID Drugs Interaction Checker is a fabulous resource to identify and risk assess the potential for interactions. Just remember that no list of interactions is comprehensive, so just because a drug isn't listed, that doesn't mean it doesn't interact. If you can't find something, particularly if it's new and shiny so less likely to have been picked up already, double-check in another resource, or look at first principles. Then, once we've identified a potential interaction, we can work through a few options. Can we ignore it? Is it a theoretical interaction with no clinical relevance? 
Can we manage it with monitoring and dose adjustments, for example? Or can we avoid it? Can we choose to use something else? With Paxlovid, the first option, can we ignore it, isn't really an option for most of the medicines it affects. As we've said, ritonavir is super interacty and it's proper potent, so if there's an interaction flagged, it's most likely to be a clinically significant one. So now we have to move on to the next two options, manage or avoid. So managing interactions is a sensible way forward for many interactions, but it is labour intensive and a bit of guesswork. Because of the complexities of medicines, and more specifically humans, the effect of an interaction isn't necessarily accurately predictable. So to make things simpler, can we easily avoid the interactions? This means finding an equally effective treatment option, or a way of doing things that doesn't affect the patient's care. So for this, we could either find an equally effective alternative to the Paxlovid, or to the other medicines, and which one we look for depends on the relative importance of the medicines and the availability of suitable alternatives. Paxlovid is important, but equally, given we'll be treating someone who is clinically vulnerable, they are likely to be on other medicines that are equally important to them. So for things like, for example, simvastatin, the relatively risk-free nature of a treatment holiday means you could just suspend it for the duration of Paxlovid treatment, plus three days. Remember, the inhibition continues for a bit after stopping as well. However, for things like HIV treatment, you'd probably not want to mess with what's working. A treatment holiday would definitely not be risk-free. Therefore, you're looking for something else instead of the Paxlovid, which luckily we have, Sotrovimab. So where have we got to? Well, we've probably got towards the end of the process for Paxlovid, and it matches what we should do with all interactions questions. So to pull it together, the process would be, first, identify potential interactions. For Paxlovid, this is going to be lots because of its messing with CYP3A4, but you have the Liverpool Drug Interaction Checker to help, plus lots of lists from other places. Just bear in mind that just because something isn't listed doesn't necessarily mean it's interaction-free. No list is comprehensive, so check a couple and think about first principles. Then, once you've identified a potential interaction, think about how you could manage it. So can you ignore it? Is it a theoretical risk only, with no clinical impact on your patient? Can you manage it? Can you monitor for increased side effects if that should happen, for example? Or can you avoid it? Can you use something else that's equally effective? Then remember to pull your answer into something that's practical for your patient. If managing, think about what they should look out for. If avoiding, what are they going to do instead? And remember the time course of the interaction. As we've seen with Paxlovid, irreversible enzyme inhibition can take a while to resolve, and enzyme induction can be prolonged too. So how long do they need to avoid things for? And how do you make sure things go back to normal afterwards? If you recommend suspending simvastatin whilst an inpatient, how do you make sure the patient restarts it after discharge? And that's it. I hope it's been helpful, and I'll see you next time.